Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore focus writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my glorious co-hosts with me today. First up, uh, let's go the other way around. We got Joe Perez. Say hey, Joe. Well, hey there. Hey. I hope everybody's having a a really good day. I hope so, too. Secondly, of course, we've got our other co-host. That would be Matt Rossi. Say hi, Rossi. For the horde. I just wanted to confuse people. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> not at you all. Doing? What are you doing? It's just strange and unusual. Uh, I will say this before we even get rolling. Okay, uh, but one... I think I feel like I should introduce things. <laughs> okay, just let me say this one little thing. My wife actually said last night that she liked Duraton. Wow. In the movie. Yes. My wife, who is way more pro-alliance than I am. Okay. So. Well, let's actually like get to the point of why yep, we're here. Go. Because um, I'm pretty sure people are wondering, why is there an extra lore watch this week? That would be because the Warcraft movie came out. And as we said on last week's show, which if you don't follow us on pa- Patreon, um, if you aren't a supporter on Patreon, you didn't get the show until this afternoon. So this is this is like two shows in a row for you, which is a little weird. Merry um, summer thing. Merry summer thing. Merry movie miss. I don't know. Uh, whatever you want to call it. This is actually a special edition episode of Lore Watch. We will not be doing this very often, obviously. Um, however, with the launch of the Warcraft movie over the course of the weekend, we didn't really want to wait, wait a week to talk about it. We wanted to talk about it now because... We just got done watching it, for some of us, twice, namely me. I don't know about you guys. Did you see it once, twice, what? Only once. Just just the once? Okay. Um, Anyway, so we are going to be talking about the Warcraft movie. We're going to be talking about the story, the lore, the spoilers. If you have not seen the Warcraft film yet, come back after you've watched it. Because we're just gonna we're gonna throw it all out there for you, and we aren't really gonna hold anything back. So that's your spoiler warning. And now let's move on to the actual show, uh, Warcraft movie. So let's see, Joe, you saw it yesterday or day before? I saw it yesterday. You saw it yesterday, Rossi. You saw it yesterday. Yeah, we went to see it at like around eight o'clock our time. Okay, I saw it once on Thursday and then the second time on Friday. Did not go see it last night because I do have things to do this weekend other than watching the film multiple times over. However, um, I guess I'm just going to turn it over to you guys. First impressions. What did you think? I actually remember saying to my wife after the film ended that I felt like it it was a little disjointed, but overall I give it a B plus. Like I thought it was a very solid popcorn film. It it was better than Age of Ultron, in my opinion. Oh yeah. And actually better than like, uh, been a lot of movies have come out in the past year that have gotten that people have like been nuts for, and I think this movie was better than most of them. Honestly. Okay, I liked Deadpool more, and I liked Civil War more. I don't think I like Deadpool more. I like Deadpool Actually, differently. Deadpool's a comedy. Yeah, I liked Deadpool more, but it was for different reasons. And Civil yeah. War, I liked Civil War because it was Avengers stuff, and I was like all about yeah. that. I haven't um, seen Civil War, so I can't comment. Okay. Uh, Joe, what about you? I actually feel pretty much the same as Rossi. I thought it was a great popcorn flick. Um, I think that it was better than a lot of movies people are uh, saying that they love this summer. I think I did like Deadpool and Civil War more than this. I will say that, uh, but overall, yeah. I think it I think it was a a good popcorn flick. It was a good, it was a good movie. I feel like comparing it to Civil War's fair, but compared to Deadpool isn't fair. Deadpool Deadpool's is like, kind of a horse of a different color. Yeah, Deadpool is a, like, like a, a unicorn, oh, no, I, a it, sexy unicorn. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's no Glenn Close in a box, but I mean, you know. What what got me really, too, though, about this movie is, and it's something I think Alex said on Twitter the other day, is every change it made worked. Most of them, I think, worked. I think every change it made worked. I can't think of a change it made that I didn't like. Okay, and I feel like, um, well, for me anyway, the first time I saw it, I'd say I'd give it a solid BB plus. And the second time I saw it really solidified that B plus almost an A. Um, The movie, if you've seen it once and you haven't seen it again, it really improves upon a second viewing. And I was really surprised to discover that. But I think a lot of that, I was talking to Rossi about this before we started the show. I think a lot of that was because my initial viewing was kind of... um, overcast almost just by the sheer joy of seeing Azeroth on the big screen as like a real place, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And also to a lesser degree, the changes that were being made because I'm one of those people that has an auto encyclopedia of Warcraft lore in my head. I just do. And it's really hard for me. I didn't think it would be as hard as it was, but it is. It's it's really hard for me to kind of just shovel that to the side. But I, I had to force myself to do that yeah. on that first viewing. And when I was doing that on my first viewing, the moment I got over something, we were already halfway through the next scene. And I still enjoyed the film. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoyed the film, but it was kind of like overshadowed by that. When I went and saw it the second time, I'd been through that whole process once already. So I was able to just sit down and enjoy the film for what it was and actually look at the characters more closely and how they were interacting. And I was really surprised at my perception of certain characters because I went in there expecting not to like certain characters and they ended up being some of my favorites. Um, Obviously, with this film, we're talking two different things here. And I've reiterated this I don't know how many times over the course of the past like three or four days on Twitter, on the website, to people at the movie theater, actually. (laughs) This is two different sets of canon. There is the Warcraft cinematic universe, and then there is the Warcraft video games and everything else. They are not the same thing. There will be no cross-canon or anything of the sort, which is kind of a pity, because like you were saying, Rossi, there are some changes in there that make absolute perfect sense, and I sort of wish that it could be incorporated into the game world as like a retcon. Honestly, um, I don't, I, I'll, I'll just I'm gonna say this one up front. There's nothing in the game lore right now that contradicts the idea that Anduin Lothar's sister was Lane Wren's wife. Yep, there is nothing. That, that was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> I want them to incorporate that for, for like a multitude of reasons. One, because then the Arathi bloodline wouldn't be dead. No. Two, because then it would make perfect sense that Lothar fought as hard as he did, that he evacuated Stormwind and made sure to get Varian out, that he took such care to make sure Varian survived, and that Varian named his kid after Lothar. It would make sense anyway because Lothar saved him, but... They were best buddies. I mean, Lothar and Lane grew up together, so they yeah. were best friends. So it it wasn't that it didn't make sense before, but, but adding, Taria, sense. adding Taria into the mix kind of like solidifies that in a in a in a really real kind of way plus i liked taria yeah i mean i like ruth nega anyway i like anything that she does but her introductory scene where she's like you know have a care you speak to your queen and he goes you were my sister first (laughs) yeah that's just it's a really nice setup uh i'm gonna say this that i i've not seen vikings very much the show that tremors film is on but he makes the perfect lothar he's perfect in the role i I would agree with that 
Um, I think he did he did everything you'd want for the character. He's got a sense of humor. He's not just grim and brooding all the time, but he does have that serious side. I liked how he fought the orcs. There's a scene where he's talking to his son, and he's like, they're stronger than you. Don't try to overpower them. Uh, and it's really well done. I think all... A lot of the actors, not all of them, but a lot of the actors did really well. And some of the actors who had to act through basically like about 20 pounds of CGI prosthetics, I was surprised at how effective they were. Um, uh, yeah, the orcs were, I don't even know where to begin with them. They were so good. They were all so good. Um, every single last one of them. I don't think I saw an orc that I didn't like. Even the background orcs. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I laughed my butt off when Grom Hellscream is the background orc. Yes, or uh, was or, back or there. Cargath was back Cargath there. was a background orc. Yep. Rog was mm-hmm. back there. All of them were back there. They all, were hiding. All of the warlords were there. All of them were in the background. <laughs> you know who else was in the background? The orc from the Mists of Pandaria cinematic intro. I saw an orc that looked just like him. You notice that they had orcs wearing the hats from Warcraft One. Yes. Hats and the uniforms. It was brilliant. They were wearing like Samwise's designs and stuff that he's been yeah. drawing forever with the big, you know, let's like broken hat. horns and the hats yeah. with the spikes. Um, the the design on the orcs was great. I think what interested me was that they felt alive. Like the orcs felt so alive and so organic and so real that they almost overshadowed the hum- like the humans almost looked like they were CGI in comparison it was really weird uh, um, I, i'll tell you i know one human that i know what you're talking about like during the scene on the staircase when they're trying to like get to stormwind and th- there's that one guy who works with garona and i forget his name um he's kind of got a flat top the one guy that works the with guy with the gun and he's like you you help her and like evacuate and the dude he's basically he's kind can of fodder he's in a lot of scenes but he doesn't do much he's important fodder yeah but he basically looked like on he looked like generic human number seven are you talking about varus you're not talking about varus are you i don't know he's the guy he has a gun at one point and he shoots an orc as they're coming at him that guy he's sort of like an important character but he's not it might have been Varys. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. I'm sorry. But... What really weirded me out, though, like, what really weirded me out was that uh, Toby Kebbell, um, Kaczynski, Clancy yeah. Brown, Daniel Wu, um, even Anna Galvin as Draka, all of them, you could see the actor or actress mm-hmm. through the CGI, and it was mm-hmm. kind of disconcerting and really weird, but really cool. That's what made there's there's a there's an exchange between Blackhand and Varian. There's actually a couple of them. Varian. Uh, no, no, sorry, uh, Anduin. Anduin. Okay. Lothar. Uh, there's an exchange between the two of them, and Lothar is basically they, they're giving each other the eyes at one point through and, the lightning shield. Yeah, through the yes. lightning shield. They mm-hmm. both. And, and it's it comes to the point where, where Lothar almost goes like t- points to his eyes and points to Blackhand. I'm watching that close. you. Yeah. And, and it's like. I'm just gonna say that my, my favorite part of the whole movie that and I, I'm talking a lot and I want to let Joe talk so I'm gonna shut up after this but my favorite <laughs> part of the whole movie is the the second the the, the Macora between Lothar and Blackhand that final showdown and yeah it's, it's I like beautiful that it's beautiful for one reason it's beautiful because it's, it's over in 20 seconds yes thank you thank you I said that people are like, oh it should it should have been this big epic battle no oh he's a tech he's a tactical genius he's somebody who understands how to fight them at this point point. and when flipping Lothar he has nothing left to lose yes he's gonna rip right through that guy over fast he should outclass Blackhand in every possible way except yeah. sheer strength 
Yeah. Yes. It, it just it, it happens very fast. Um, I'm not I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's we don't want to spoil everything yeah. for everybody who no, might. No, where no. I'm sorry. I gave the spoiler warning. You want right. to spoil things? Go right ahead. Basically, it starts off um, blackhand. Like Lo- Lothar comes down and he's cleaning house. Like he comes down in the middle of the of the orc army when the all other humans are basically either either fled or died, and he just starts destroying people. And his griffin, by the way, is also a star. The griffin is beautiful. Oh, yeah. I love the griffins in this yeah. film. The griffin <laughs> is messing people up and. Lothar grabs Lane's body, throws it on the back of the griffin, and flies off. But Blackhand is so tall from Fell Energy at this point that he reaches up, grabs its foot, and slams it to the ground. Well, hold on a second. Let, let's let's actually frame that properly. Not only not only is the griffin like really really awesome, Lothar stops fighting, knowing that this griffin can take care of the horde of orcs around him. Yeah, long so enough for him to do what he has to do. Yeah. He completely understands that this this animal is that beastly and loyal to him that that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's it, so that basically sets up Lothar wakes up and the royal sword of Stormwind is thrown in front of him, and Blackhand says Makora, and because they don't speak. The human languages and the humans don't speak orc at this point. They, that's why Garona was translating for a while. Loth- Lothar has no idea what the orcs are saying. He yeah. just knows a challenge he, when he sees yeah. it. So he he picks up the sword and there's this moment where they're just staring at each other's eyes. And it's it's actually really... It's a, it's a it's long a moment. It's like yeah. this long, uncomfortable stare down. And what I liked about this was that the, the whole Lothar black hand back and forth... Was built up, but only- it was built up through the whole movie. When they first encountered, when the when the orcs first attacked in the forest, Lothar blew Blackhand's dang hand off with the boomstick. Yeah. So and Blackhand had resigned that. himself to I'm going to die. He did not die. He got uh, maybe Cargath gave it to him. Maybe no. Goldon gave it to him. Goldon I don't know. But it was it was like blades strapped to his hand and. When it got to the next oh, that showdown, was, that was old orc tech. That wasn't right. like a gift. That was right. like, well, Bladefist has when, done this. Right. Sure. It's Cargas done this. I'll do this. But when you get to that next showdown where they're in Deadwind Pass and the, it, it's basically that lightning shield comes down. Lothar's on one side, protected by the shield. His son is on the other with no way to get through. And that that scene just in and of itself was kind of heartbreaking because Lothar was just repeatedly slamming himself against his shield, trying to save his kid. And Blackhand noticed hand it. it. Yeah. Blackhand noticed it. He noticed it. He's like, oh, number one, there's the dude that blew my hand off. Number two, he's really invested in this one human this one human right here so he stops one of the other orcs from killing lothar's son callan Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and picks up the kid and then he just turns and he looks at lothar to see what lothar's reaction is and as soon as he figures out yeah yeah you think this one's real valuable don't you i thought my hand was valuable (laughs) <laughs> and he just yeah. sticks it to Callan and then throws the body at Lothar's feet. So Lothar's like, they've already had their, their exchange back and forth. And this is like Lothar's final payback. So when he stands up after basically just eviscerating Blackhand in two seconds and says, that was for my son. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a fist pump moment, but it was also kind of a sad moment. Cause it was like, dang, this guy has lost everything. He's lost everything he's ever loved. Everything. Except his sister. 
everything and except for his sister. There's also like, I mean, I think the one change that I know some people actually don't like that I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that might be one of the ones Joe doesn't like, and it might be one of the ones that Ian doesn't like. So we should probably talk about it. Is the Garona Lothar interplay? Uh, I want to get into Garona, yeah, but so, I'm going to get into Garona in depth in a little bit. Let, let me let me just say this. The things that I don't like about the movie are not that I don't like them individually. A lot of it has to do with the fact that because of either time constraints or story constraints, that some of them felt very shoehorned in. Like, the, the problem that I have, and, and well, I'm, I don't want to take all of Anne Sunder and Garona, but, no, you go ahead and talk, Joe, because so, I'm pretty sure that you and I are going to argue about this to the death, which is really funny. Maybe, maybe. I don't like the fact that, and, and I'm actually with Liz on this one, I don't like the fact that Garona felt like she didn't have agency throughout the entire movie. And See, and it, I find that really funny because I found that the movie gave her, like, 800 million more times agency than she ever had in the original story. I would say I would say they they clipped her in the same way cuz I mean she what did she do that made her own choice? Everything was thrust upon her and that's my problem. And that's and I understand that's sort of an endemic with the character like that's sort of like how they did things but the whole like the scene where she was sent to Lothar, she was sent there. It wasn't her choice. Like it was Medivh sending her or you know, at the end, it was not her really seeing a choice or making a choice. It's Lillane telling her to do this thing. And and it's sort of that weird moment where she was free but not free that I don't, I don't know. There was just never. Okay, let me talk some Garona. Go for it. Go for it. Let me talk some Garona. What you have to understand about Garona, movie canon Garona. Garona was born taken in by black can or excuse me by Goldon the second she was born and she was a slave she was a slave her entire life she followed Goldon not because she wanted to but because he dragged her from place to place she had no agency whatsoever the rest of the orcs did not accept her her name meant cursed like they didn't view her as an orc they didn't view her as an anything and she didn't view herself as an anything as a result Goldan pretty much forced her to be this translation artist between the different races. He told her, I want you to learn these different languages so that you can speak to them because you're just going to be the mouthpiece. That, that's your job. You're my walking, talking mouthpiece. That's it. And Garona had no freedom. Not only did she have no freedom, there was not even one moment where she felt accepted or like she belonged anywhere. And the only time... The only time anyone bothered to show her the tiniest bit of kindness in her entire life before they went through the dark portal was when Gul'dan took her to the Frost Wolves in the Duraton novel and Draka was kind to her. And they had that exchange where Garona, in response to this kindness out of nowhere, which was just astonishing to her because her entire existence was wrapped up in being nothing, decided to warn Draka about Gul'dan. As best as she could. She said in Draenei, you cannot trust my master. And Draka said, we know. And that was it. Garona, when we encounter her, when we, or when she's freed, rather, by Duratan in the film, Duratan's like, okay, you were working for Gul'dan, but you warned us about Gul'dan, and I appreciate that, so I'm going to do you a solid, and I'm going to break this chain. And he held out his hand to her as a come with us and Garona made a very smart decision at that point 
And, you know, it was a split second decision where she was like, if I go with you, you're going to take me back to the orcs. If you take me back to the orcs, Gul'dan's just going to reclaim me and I'll be a slave again. Nope, I'm out of here. And she takes off, right? Mm -hmm. Cadgar captures her. They take her to the humans. The humans do not keep her on a chain in their own throne room. They let her wander free. They let her walk up to them. And that whole okay. first scene with Garona in the throne room, I found that whole first scene very interesting because she's very much like a wild animal. She's walking around. She's examining things. She's smelling things. She's, like, testing things. And she tests Lothar when she gets right up in his face. And Lothar doesn't back down. She tests Lane by walking right up to him and, like, touching him. And nobody does anything. And that's the part where she starts getting like a little bit surprised because none of these people are acting like orcs should, but they all look a lot more like her than any orc she's ever encountered. And she doesn't quite know how to process that or handle it. And then beyond that, the next scene that we see is her in a cage. Yes, but it's not a bad cage. She's got a cot in there. They're making her comfortable. And their chieftain's wife comes up to her and says, here, it's cold. Here's some furs to sleep in. Here's something to wrap yourself in. Here's some tea to drink. Take it. And Grona says, rightfully so, I could kill you right now before he could get across the room. And what does Taria say? She says, we don't do things like that here. Okay. The I'm... moment that Garona showed up to the humans, they treated her with nothing but kindness, despite the fact that she was a prisoner. And they just kind of accepted her for what she was. They didn't look at her with any kind of distrust or anything. They said, we want to... Okay, no, I'm going to stop your... you right there. They didn't look at her with distrust? No, they treated her with the common respect that they would have treated any other war prisoner right. of that time. That had nothing to do with the fact that they trusted her. That's okay, that, but... I will, I will argue but, that Joe, to one blue in the but, face. But any other war prisoner, caveat to that, with respect. And Garona has never been sure. treated with respect ever in her life. So and she has no that, yes. idea... She has no idea how to comprehend this. And yes, she's thrown from scene to scene and she's taken from place to place. But that's kind of almost where her mind is at right now because events are moving almost too fast for her to process. There's this really interesting scene between Garona and Duratan right after she takes she takes the humans, she takes them to the dark portal and she shows them, look, this is what you're facing. And this is just a war band. This isn't the full horde. They're going to feed that portal, and then they're going to bring through the horde. And this is just a small example of it. Lane, or Lothar says, we got to go talk to whoever. And he, he takes off, and, and she's getting ready to leave. Duratan shows up, and he's got Cadgar muffled. He's got like a this giant paw of a hand over Cadgar's mouth. But he's not hurting the little guy. Not at all. And he has this exchange with Corona where he says, I want to meet with their leader. I want to meet with their... And she's like, do you want to kill him? Because she doesn't want that leader dead. Why doesn't she want Lane dead? Because Lane treated her with respect. Lane's, Lane's, he may be this alien race, but he's treated her far better than she's ever been treated in her entire life. And Duratan says, no, I want to forge some kind of peace. And that's when Garona asks him, she says, when this is over, can I join your clan? Because Duratan's the only orc, Duratan and his wife, they're the only orcs who have ever even shown her like the slightest hint that they might be accepting of her as a half-breed. And what does Duratan tell her? He says, you're better off with them. And Paula Patton does a great job here because you can see on her face, you can see that 
that kind of it's it's a it's a it's a combination of disappointment and also acceptance because that's that's the moment where she's reaching out to the orcs and going can I please just be one of you? And the one orc who's shown her any kindness says, you know what? That's probably not a good idea. And just shuts her out. And that's when she starts turning, like really turning towards the humans more. Um, I didn't go in there expecting to like Garona's character. I didn't, from the trailers and the way that they had set it up, it was like, oh, she's going to be love story bait all over again, right? I didn't really feel that. I, I felt like that love story, it was part love story, but it was mostly her fascination with trying to find somewhere she belonged and her fascination with humanity as a whole because it was alien, it was unfamiliar, yet somehow, gotta, in some I, ways, it was familiar to her. And there's a reason for in. that. There's yeah, a reason this is the for thing that. I wanted to bring up. Um, yeah, go ahead. The, the, the end of the movie has a lot of factors. One of them is... Before everything gets kicked off, uh, Garona is left alone with Medivh, and Medivh is somewhat recovered, but not fully. And he tells a little story of when he was trying after, you know, after he's his childhood, when he really realized what his job was going to be, what his life was going to be. He began looking for a place he could find acceptance, and he mentions that amongst another people, he found a woman that could accept him for what he truly was and, and love him for it and love him for it. And there's this moment where Corona's like, you left your mate? And he's like, for not, not love is He doesn't say, he doesn't say yeah. anything to that. When she says, yeah, no. she says, you left your mate. And he says, you have to go back. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's talking to her like, you know, if love is what you want, then you have to be prepared to go to great lengths for it, even to the ends of the world. And that to me is why I don't agree with, with Joe there about it not being her choice. Because it is her choice, he doesn't send her to Lothar to be his love interest. He gives her the option to, if this is what you want, take it and go. That's that's. There's one. Yeah, and it's and it's very heavily implied that the female that Medivh went to was not on Azeroth. Yeah, I kind of I was gonna bring that up too. Like the implication is very strong. Because everybody that I was with when they were watching the movie walked out and asked, "Why is why was she with her dad? I don't get that." Yeah, it, the, it's I mean very... the, the the implication is really strong that Medivh is her dad. Um. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Warcraft movie novelization because I just finished reading that yesterday. Gotcha. Go. It is absolutely without doubt one hundred percent confirmed that Garona is Medivh's daughter yeah. in the book. Oh, there you go. Um, which that. That's obviously that's a major change because she's not half Draenei, she's half human. Uh But at the same time, I actually really like this change. I kind of thought you might like this change because for one thing, it makes one person absolutely positively not going to show up. Right. But here's the cool part, right? (laughs) Um, That scene that you're talking about where she's talking with Medivh, um, he opens a portal right he does that little portal spell and he put pulls out this flower in the middle of it like makes this magical flower and he says this is my gift to you and he hands it to her and she takes it and then he steps away from that portal 
he's no longer channeling that portal. He's no longer fueling that portal. He's stepped back from it. And that portal doesn't fire off until she lets the flower go. And it's almost, and that's not confirmed in the novelization. This is just me reading into it. But it's almost as if Garona is fueling that spell and casting that spell herself. Like she's taking it over. Like dad has just clued her into the fact that you're my child and you have these powers and you don't even know. And I don't know how truthful that is, but having Medivh be her father makes so much more sense than what they did in the original story, which was she was in love with Medivh and they obviously they had this kid. That felt really shoehorned in. This felt a hell of a lot more natural um, and, and it seemed like a much more logical resolution. But moving on with Garona, she is tossed around in this world where she never really felt she belonged and the only people that she feels she belongs with are these humans which is weird because she's viewing them as kind of weak and inferior and yet they exhibit this kindness and this respect that she's never actually seen before ever and then we get to that final moment with lane and that moment with lane is one that I was thinking about as I left the theater and as I was driving home. And when I went and saw it the second time, it was one of those moments that I was really paying attention to. Lane's character, I kind of fell in love with Lane's character at that scene because that was Lane basically embracing the inevitable. He took off his helmet when the portal to Stormwind came down and he took it off for one reason alone. He knew that he was he was going to lose. He knew He knew that this was the end. And he accepted it. But in that final moment, he turned and he looked at Blackhand. And then he turned and he looked at Garona. And he said to himself, one of these is going to make the orcs. One of, one of, this death is inevitable, but I can choose the means by which it happens. And one of them is going to make the orcs stronger. If Blackhand kills me, he gets all of that honor. They follow him. They're even stronger. But if Garona kills me... She gets that honor by the ways of these orcs that I barely understand. They will accept her and maybe, just maybe, she can talk them out of doing what they're doing or she can make a difference. Either way, she survives. And she may not be human, she may not be one of my people, but she deserves to live. And that's why he turned to her and he said, you have to kill me. And she didn't want to do it. She absolutely didn't want to do it because what he was telling her to do was basically, number one, I want you to kill your closest ally, the person who's been treating you with respect this entire time. And number two, I'd like you to do it so that these people that have treated you like crap all of the like for the, you know, your entire life, I want you to go become one of them. And he's kind of sending her in there almost as a double agent of sorts to do his job after his death. Um, And that that moment that moment between the two of them really the more I thought about it the more I liked it because I think that in terms of how far that goes that puts that choice entirely in Garona's hands because she could have said no she could have said no and died on the spot and instead she decided to go ahead and fulfill this guy's last request and also if you think about it too it's also a a case where she's giving something up she is she's giving up her humanity She's not just giving up her humanity. She's also giving up all the relationships she made. Everything that... You know, she's friend. she was friendly with Khadgar. Um, she was friendly with Lothar. She was friendly with, with, with Tarya. That's all gone. She, she spent, knows once she does it that they're going to think of her... They're going to hate as her. ...as Lane's murderer. And she, she, she 
had already said once before when she was talking to Medivh, Lothar's going to hate me. He's going to blame me for this. He's going to tell, think that his son's death was my fault. And Medivh is like, no, no, you're, you're okay. And, you know, he, and he has that father-daughter conversation with her that she doesn't know is a father-daughter conversation and kind of reassures her that, no, humans are, are smarter than that. And this was not your fault. And he's going to see that and realize that and, you know, sends her to him. But in that moment with Lane, she knows that all of that respect that she's earned, all of that trust that they've shown in her and all of that kindness that they've given her is going to just evaporate. She's throwing it all away. But Lane's telling her to do it. So it's like it's it's no wonder she's like really conflicted there. And I don't think that it's a matter of she didn't have any agency. I think that that was a moment where they took that agency and put it right in her hands because it's her making that choice. It's not Gul'dan forcing her to do something against her will. It's her making a decision. Did Lane tell her to do it? Yeah, but she didn't have to do it. So, well, I mean, yeah, this I is, think, this I is think why I liked that. Garona. See, and the more I thought about it, the more Garona really grew on me because, you know, a lot of people were like, she, she acts, she's all strong in the beginning and then she acts all weak and helpless. I'm like, she's not, she's not acting weak and helpless though. She's acting like she's really confused and she doesn't quite know what's going on. And that's really in line with who she is and what she should be doing at this point. She's not going to be confident surrounded by a bunch of humans. She's going to be trying to figure them out. And the more she figures the out, out about them, the more she's confused and the more she's kind of like taken aback because they're showing more honor and more kindness to her than the people that she was raised with, than the people that she had wanted to be a part of. And that, you know, it's like this internal conflict that's going on. I think Paula Patton did a really good job with Garona. I liked, I liked her performance a lot. And like I said, I did not expect to like Garona coming into this film, but she actually stood out as one of my favorites. Talking about people that we didn't expect to like, I think it's time for me to talk about Doomhammer. Okay, but first, <laughs> first before we do that, let's let's let Joe talk a little bit again, because because yeah. I know you're gonna go off, Rossi, and you're, you yeah. we need to talk about Doomhammer. Um, so Joe, was there anybody in there that surprised you in unexpected ways, or who was your favorites? Who stood out? So it's one of those weird things where this is one of those movies where I loved every bit of casting, and this is a rarity for me. I'm really kind of finicky when it comes to that. I freely admit that, but here I really enjoyed everybody's casting for it i thought everybody played their parts fine i didn't have any complaints uh which surprised the heck out of me uh and king howard you know as i was calling him afterwards made me very very happy i thought he was a great uh king lillane uh as far as surprises the one that really surprised me the most really was looking at uh the giant black box of of possibilities and seeing glenn close <laughs> like i saw that and i'm just like what i'm sitting there that? i don't even that was i think we need to talk about that but maybe talk yeah. about that afterwards so talk about like the characters that we knew yeah. were there any portrayals like how did you think medivh did how did you think cadgar did did so, any of them really make you go wow that was a change but i liked it Mid i wouldn't say like so much of a change except for well you know what actually i would medivh i will say that because in in the previous like incarnations of the tellings of medivh he was yeah he was aloof but he wasn't like they could still talk to him, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like he was still present here. It, it the way that they played him with everything sort of being, he was distracted. He had things on his mind that were a million miles away and sort of kind of that 
he's in a million places at once in his brain. I thought that was actually a really nice touch. And there were several moments during any of his interactions where you can see he like he looks away slightly or he kind of zones out. And you don't know if that's because his corruption's taken over or if he's thinking about something else or, you know, what that what the heck is actually going on. And I thought that was a really cool touch because there's just this bit of mystery. And I know this was good because the person sitting directly next to me who knows nothing of Warcraft, let me specify this. He knows that it's a game. He didn't know anything else about it besides that. Turns to me, he's like, oh, he's up to something, isn't he? He's up to something. <laughs> he's like, I don't I don't trust him. What? Why does everybody trust him? Like it was, it was one of those moments, and I'm like, okay, that that's a really good portrayal at that point, then, because you know somebody who doesn't know what to expect is picking up on all these cues. Th- that to me tells me they did a good job. Okay, Rossi, talk about Orgrim because I know you're dying to. Okay, well, first off, I mean, in our in main game continuity, Orgrim is known as the backstabber because of what he did in the, right. in this movie. In a way, he still is, but it's much more nuanced they flipped it they flipped yeah, the script flipped on it, it and i love it i Basically, love what they did with it you have orgrim is durotan's right hand and i really feel like you know durotan draka and orgrim are really a, a group of characters that need, deserve to have more time it's it's a shame that the movie doesn't have enough length to really do it you get it from the durotan prequel book to a degree but these three characters are basically the the voice of like pure idealism tempered idealism and pragmatism like Duraton is the literally the orcish voice of voices yeah. of reason. They're the orcish voices of reason, but but Draka is pure idealism. She is the as far oh, as orcs get her. to idealism. I loved her so much. She's on that corner. Orgrim is on the other corner. Where he's pure pragmatism, and Duraton is is basically being held up by the two of them. He mixes their viewpoints. He's kind of in between, and Orgrim basically has a failure of imagination in that Duraton tells him, you know. We we got to unite with the humans to fight the to fight Gul'dan and Durt, Orgrim just cannot do that. Duratan sits him down and points it out to him and goes, "Look at what's happening to the land here. Everywhere that Gul'dan is practicing his magic, look at it. Doesn't and, that look familiar to you? And the thing do is, I need is to that, hit you on the head with a rock? But no know? one, but no one orc is that powerful. <laughs> yeah, but, and that's the thing is like. For all that, you know, Orgrim does believe in Duraton. Like, there's a scene after, like, but he does believe in him, but he can't bring himself to betray his people. He can't, and he sees it as betrayal of his people. Mm -hmm. So he can't bring himself to do it. Even though Duratan says they should, he can't, that's a step too far for him. He can't do it. It's inconceivable to him. When when the meeting between the humans and the orcs happen, Orgrim helps the orc, the the horde, plot an ambush. Black hand. He helps Blackhand and his people do the ambush. And afterwards, you know, Gul'dan is saying to him, well, now you'll be chieftain. Now I will, I'll give you the fell power and you can rule. And Orgrim doesn't want the fell power. He, he even says, while he's talking to Gul'dan, he says, but that's not, that wasn't what you, you said to Durotan. And he's like, Durotan's a traitor. Who cares? And Orgrim realizes in that exact moment that Gul'dan has no honor. That, that he can't be trusted. It's a that, combination that, of his words and also the fact that he's using that human sitting there yeah. as like a fell sippy straw. Yeah, he's doing that right in front of him. And Orgrim realizes, I can't. Oh, God. What did right. I do? What have I done? Yeah. So he goes he goes to the Frostwolf camp, which is already being like destroyed. It's, it's the, funny, too, because yeah. Gul'dan says, like, flat out, that was Gul'dan's test. Gul'dan says, OK, he, right here, right now, I'm going to give you the fell. Give me your hand. Yeah. And Orgrim says, uh, well, 
you know, my people don't necessarily believe that the fell is good. So why don't I gather them and bring them to you? And then you can give me the fell and they'll see that it's okay. And Goldon yeah. says, oh, yeah, okay, that's very practical of you. You go do that. And then immediately sends his people to burn the Frostwolf camp because he knows yeah. Orgrim is full of it. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's Orgrim basically goes to Draka's tent, which was Duratan and Draka's tent, but Duratan has been arrested for his part and everything, and basically kills a couple orcs on his way in, uh, gets in there, and she, she pulls a knife on him straight up like, I should kill you, and he goes, you don't have time. Yeah, You, you have to get your son out of here now. And so she leaves, and that leads to her fate, which is not that's something that I was very upset by. Actually, I feel like it was a little bit of a waste of the character. I loved, I loved that last exchange between them, though, because she's glaring yeah. at him, and she goes, "You should have listened to your chieftain." Yeah, and walks and out the does. tent, and and the look on his face is just this giant. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's and, nothing I could do. Yeah, and he goes and finds Duraton and, and basically kills another couple of orcs, and Duraton's like. You know, won't you get in trouble for this? And Orgrim's like, I'll just say that you did it. And Duratan, you know, <laughs> Duratan straight up punches him in the face, like hits him just hard. Just gives him a gut punch, big yeah. old, like sets him on his butt. And basically, Duratan's, you know, Orgrim's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't. You when you said what to do, I couldn't. I saw it as turning on our people. I couldn't do it. But now I see. I see what they are. And he's it's, and like Duratan has a look on his face, like, yeah, fat lot good it does us now. But it's that. Durat, it's not that Orgrim is some kind of stock glowering villain. He's not at all. In fact, even Blackhand isn't. Um, Blackhand has honor in his way. Blackhand is not a sneering villain. He's just, he's not impressed with the humans and doesn't see them as worthy of anything. But yeah, he's definitely, Orgrim is this really fascinating character because he is, he is this kind of like the, he's kind of like the perfect Frostwolf. He's the, because they are a pragmatic people. He is the ultimate Frostwolf, even more so than Duraton. Duraton's a bit of a dreamer. And yeah, you need yeah. that in your you need that in your chieftain because you need a, a guy with imagination. But you need somebody I, to ground him as like the yeah. second, yeah. And that's what unfortunately, he was. unfortunately for him, he couldn't quite grasp the situation. He couldn't make the you know the intellectual leap that you know until he saw Duratan like Duratan fight um, Gul'dan, and we we should talk about that too. I what I liked there though was that you know in that exchange that they had after he helped Orgrim up. Mm-hmm. Orgrim said, I didn't see it before and I see it now. And the rest of them, they need to see it too. And Duratan says, I'll then I'll them. show them and I'll yeah. make them see it. And he walked off to go challenge Gul'dan to this Matgora because that was the only way in full view mm-hmm. of the collected assembly of that entire war band. If Gul'dan pulled his fell stuff, which Duratan he- knew he would. Knew he mm-hmm. absolutely would. It was the only way to show everyone, like, just flat out show them and let them see it with their own eyes. Because they hadn't seen it. They hadn't seen it before. Well, hey, yeah, man, he, he, let's say right up front, though. Wasn't that the best use of Gul'dan you've seen? Oh, God. Oh, man. My, That's like, that was my far, I think, my favorite scene in the entire movie. Just The, the fight me, between the two of them? Yes. The, no, the minute, the minute where he hands Blackhand his staff. Yeah. And he starts walking forward. And, and that he cloak stands upright, and the cloak falls off, and you see Gul'dan at his full height, and you realize he's not a hunchback, dude. He's ripped. He's he's an orc. He's still an orc. He may not have honor, and he may be a, a, a an evil evil thing, 
But at the end of the day, he's still an orc. And the fact that that physical prowess was still there, which is something that I loved because it's it's a piece of the menacing puzzle for him that has been missing in game terms forever. The other interesting part to that, too, um, in the gold or in the Duratan novel, Duratan's talking about when he first sees Goldon and how he can't understand how those how those spines are affixed to that cloak. Like yep. he can't understand it. And when that cloak comes sliding off and he stands up, you see it in Duratan's eyes. He's like, Oh my God, those things are part of him. What, yeah. what are you? You aren't an orc, but everybody yeah. else can see that too. And they're like, Whoa, Ugh. that's, that's a little weird. That's a so little he almost, weird. If he, if he didn't outright, he outrights Goldon at that point, basically dominates the horde through fear. Because he yeah. loses their loyalty at that point. At that yeah. point, it's fear. Oh, yeah, the end of the fight, too. Yeah. That was... Go ahead. Well, I'm, I no, you you can say it as easily as I can, man. So that was one of my... That was another reason why I absolutely love that scene. Isn't just because of the weight uh, or the gravitas of those two fighting and, and how it went down and the fact that, you know, the entire exchange ended with Gul'dan pulling his normal tricks. It was the reaction from all of the background works. And I thought that was because it's so easy to kind of let them just be blood curdling monstrosities. But even the ones that have accepted the fell are like, you have no honor. You have no respect for our ways. They were right about you all along. And the, the, the looks as they're they're looking at each other and they're sitting there and they're like, OK, what do we do now? It was just this ripple of visual like recognition it was this, this recognition of what they have exactly gotten themselves into that i thought was absolutely phenomenal I, that's what like that entire setup that entire sequence was perfect and uh I, I i don't really even like there's so much to talk about in this movie like i really do feel like we're kind of we're jumping around a lot i feel like um yeah. What I might do at the end of the show here is put out a call for questions about the film. If you have any questions about the film, you should send them. I'll just say it now. If you have any questions about the film that you want answered, send them to uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com and tag them lore watch in the subject line. And maybe next week, because we are recording a regular show next week, we'll actually do like a Q&A about the movie where we'll, you know, answer your questions and talk about things maybe in a little more depth because yeah. we're, we're going to run out of time here. I feel like we should go over anyway because I just don't care. <laughs> Um, there was um, and, one thing. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, well, what were you going to say? I was going to say there's like so many moments that I just felt like were like perfect little moments. Like mm -hmm. it, it, they were in they were in moments. If you, you don't know Warcraft, you wouldn't know them. But one example is when they're riding through the dark. There's a mo scene where you're leaving Stormwind in the dark and they're riding over like a, the road to, to Elm yeah, Forest. Yeah, the bridge. And as they're going by suddenly here right in the corner there's yeah, a little there's murloc a little, there, there's I a laughed. little meyerfin for a lot going i have a spear I laughed, I laughed so hard my wife actually had to pat me on the back because I, <laughs> I was having a little moment just snickering at that um there's like i i feel like i haven't talked enough about why i like lothar in this movie it's, it's and okay. one of the reasons one of the reasons is that he has he isn't the typical grim movie hero who's just like, yes. I'll get things done at all costs. He is a bit of a sarcastic smartass. Uh, there's a moment where he's calling Cadgar. I can't even remember exactly what he was calling him. Bookworm. He, he called him Bookworm. and Cadgar Spellchucker. He calls him Spellchucker, too. Yep. Spellchucker was the, yeah. He says it to, to Cadgar. He's like, you know, Bookworm, you have first watch. And Cadgar's like, Commander, my name is Cadgar. And he goes, oh, I thought we bonded when I didn't throw you in prison for breaking into the Royal Arrax. And it was just, <laughs> 
I, it was this great little moment. It's, it, or when, when Garona and Cadgar and Lothar are all sitting there, like trying to camp for the night. And she's like, oh, he keeps looking at me. He wishes to lie with me. And Cadgar's like, what? I, I don't. And Lothar is literally putting his hand over his face, trying not to laugh. Well, I mean, he's stuffing it with like a turkey leg at this point. He's like, oh, I'm just going to let this play help. out. Because there's no popcorn at this time. So, I mean, he has to eat. I mean, he's got to eat something while he's watching this. It's like, oh, out. this is going down. <laughs> and that's one of the things, like, I I honestly feel like the quote unquote romantic relationship between Garona and Lothar isn't necessarily what it appears. It is. It is, but it isn't. In it's the not... novelization, it very much is a romance. No, but I'm not saying that it isn't a romance, but I'm saying it's not a romance based on, there's no, most times in these kind of movies, romances are based on, you know, like, you know, he saves her or something. Oh, there's, yeah. There's no saving of no at any point in this movie. And it, it is, he, I think he actually likes Corona because she's the first woman he's ever met that he isn't afraid will get killed just because she knows him. Right. Because there's this, Lothar in this movie has already lost so much. Like he lost his wife. His relationship with his son is extremely strained. Even before uh, he dies, there's this moment where he go. His his sister is saying, you know, hey, you've got to back off on him. You've got to. And he's like, I don't. He doesn't. My son doesn't need the queen coming to his defense, and she doesn't need you coming to his defense. And she's like, you speak to your queen. And he's like, well, you were my sister first. And there's this nice family dynamic there that plays through it. That like. Stormwind and King Lane and that's that is his family. I feel that's- like I need to um interject here and point out that the graphic novel Bonds of Brotherhood mm-hmm. it tells the story of Lane, Lothar and Medivh mm-hmm. and basically how Lane became king. It also tells the story of Lane and Taria getting together. Um, introduced Taria very much as as uh, Lothar's sister, and so I knew I I knew that Taria was Lothar's sister going into this because I'd read the graphic novel, but I was like, eh, it's not too big of a spoiler. I won't really care so much. And besides that, the dynamic it really worked. Um, but it also tells the story of Lothar losing his wife because several things go down at once and maybe I should like gloss over. No, no, we'll save that for another time. Basically, if you haven't read the graphic novel, you probably should because it'll enhance your experience just like reading Duratan will enhance your experience. And honestly, I think that the Warcraft novelization will also enhance your experience. It's written by Christy Golden. So we know we're getting a good book out of it. And we did. I I read it yesterday. It was really good. Um, Because we're running low on time here, I want to bring things back a little bit from Lothar and all of that. And I think we need to talk about the cube, the inexplicable cube, the one that has never done that before. What's really messed up for me is that they still worked in old Warcraft lore, but they changed it. Yeah, because they called called the cube Aladai. And Aladai in the original Warcraft lore was the name of the first guardian, who was a dude. He was an elf dude, half elf, I think, dude. Yeah. And um, he was the first guardian of Azeroth. That is not who Aladai is in the film. And it's not really explained who Aladai is in the film. Um, basically, Cadgar shows up and he says, what do you know about the Dark Portal? What do you know about Aladai? And Antonidas says, why did you mention those two things in the same sentence? That's really odd. I need to take you to see Aladai. Well, and he really takes cool him to this room. Point. He takes him to this room with this black cube that's kind of crackling with energy and says, this is Aladai. It's been here since before we were. And 
Yeah, and then Glenn Close shows up and things get real weird. Well, so let's talk about that. Well, the one thing, the other important thing about that scene is the Kieran Tour have no idea what this thing is for. And no. they even flat out say that. They say, we don't know what it does, but we think it might have served the function of the Guardian before we did that thing. Like and a I protector. Th- yeah, and I thought that was kind of interesting because that's a whole other, like, bag of of worms that we could it's this you know go down yeah some story that we're not going to talk about too much and and it drove me nuts because i'm like okay no i want to know more about that thing you know what my wife said going into that what'd she say she said as soon as she saw the box she's like do you think it's an hour in there i know right because the the markings on the outside yeah and here's the thing that there's no reason it couldn't be even now just because it looked like Glenn Close talking to Kagar doesn't mean it isn't Inaru. Especially true. with that line, from, from light comes from darkness, darkness, and from, from darkness, darkness light, light yeah. that's a Naru thing. And here's the interesting part about that, though. That, that figure, Glenn Close, who did an amazing performance with those few lines that she was afforded, when she turns and looks at Kadgar and he gets to look at her face for the first time, there's fell in there. She's like scarred from fell. It's like glowing mm-hmm. in her eyes. It's obviously something that she's very familiar with. So I'm wondering, is this like the movie's version of Agewin? But then I'm like, no, no, because Medivh was not born from a cube. That makes no sense. And that would have been mentioned somewhere specifically, I'm sure, if that had been the like, case. Yeah. Every so often, you know, the cube disgorges another guardian. It just makes him. Uh, yeah, yeah, the 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 cooled out the cooldowns cool expired, so the unit comes out of the barracks. I mean, it's it's a totally an old Warcraft thing. <laughs> I mean, it fits perfectly as far as I'm concerned. I like the fact <laughs> cooldowns expired. It just pops out a guard, guardian like every thirty forty years. No, um, when when the cube opened up and those stairs appeared, uh, Cadgar said, "Should I go in?" And Antonidas says. I don't know. It's never done that before. Everybody at the theater laughed, myself yes. included. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm having I'm having this moment where I'm like, okay, so you've had this black cube chain, well, like basically Ooh. cloistered away in the Violet Ooh. Citadel for this many years, and you don't even know what it does. And it's you n- like, what? You know. you know what I thought was interesting too about that scene? What? You had the mages surrounding it, and they had like the weird like. Cube things, just like when Manoroth was in prison beneath the Hellfire Citadel. It's a little it was, weird. It was really, it was kind of an interesting moment because it's like, because that's what I was thinking. I was like, wait a minute. When I first saw that scene, I'm like, are they containing this or trying to contain it? Or are they trying to open it? I don't know. But that was like one of those cool moments because it's like you have this group of mages who are obviously probably very powerful and sworn to secrecy surrounding Elodai. So we're going to we're going to um, quick fire off some tinfoil hat theories because I have a couple of these. Um, but before before I fire off into the one that I want to discuss, I want to talk about the black cube because I think there's probably half dozen theories we could possibly have about that. Rossi, what do you think that cube is? Who well, is Glenn f- Close? What is her f- purpose? Well, like I said, I had the first idea was that it's an arrow, um, and especially with the darkness light statement. Another possibility that comes immediately to mind is that it is from and we don't know if the movie setting has the same history. We don't know if like, you know, where the elves come from or all that. But if there was, if this links into Medivh, when mm-hmm. you see Medivh going nuts, he turns into Sargeras. I love that. He straight up turns into freaking Sargeras. 
So I want to see more demons in the sequel. Please yes. take a note, Duncan Jones. Thank this, you. This implies to me that the sundering happened. I mean, it's the same. It, the world looks the same. It had to. So happened. if the sundering happened, then Aladai could very well de- date back to the previous continent spanning night elf civilization. And it could definitely be, it could be their version of the guardian because if they're messing around with the well of eternity, they would have wanted a protection. Joe, do you have so, any tinfoil hat theories about playing close in a box? I do. I do, actually. Uh, I do think it is tied to the Guardian, but I think that maybe it was left behind. I, I kind of like the idea that it may have been the Guardian during the time of elves and even before then. Um, but I have this idea where very clearly the Glenn Close in a Box can get out of the box and influence the world around it. What if that's where the line of guardians, like human guardians, actually spawn from? Where it wasn't, because that, that's never explained in the movie. It's just that there's this line of guardians that has been blah, 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 blah. Uh, they never really explain in the movie how that all started. What if, you know, that entity was like, okay, well, I'm starting to come to the end of my cycle. I'm, I've fought the fell before. I'm corrupted by it. I'm not going to be able to defend this planet. I need to impart this knowledge. And she influenced the Kieran Tor and everybody else into you need to make a guardian because she very clearly led Kagar to the book about the Dark Portal. And it makes me wonder what other possible things were influenced by this entity before time. And I think that's kind of I think that that's where it is. And there's also the possibility that it could have simply been born from Azeroth itself. I was going to say, um, just to pop in here. My wild, crazy, out-there theory. That box is Titan technology. What it contains, Glenn Close, is the spirit of Azeroth itself manifested. Possibly. That is very, very possible. And that's why it's riddled with fell and riddled with every type of magic ever. And why it talks about that it's associated with the Guardians because it wants the Guardians to protect it. Um, Honestly, though. But that's out there. (laughs) Whether or not you want to talk about tinfoil hats, one thing that happens that I I think is interesting is that Cadgar is appointed guardian there. Mm. Kind of. No, he straight up is. Mm. But whether or not you – we can argue whether or not Elodi has the authority or the power to do so. But the fact is is that Mediv appointed him guardian. He went in that box – a boy and came out a man. Yes, Glenn Close made him a man. (laughs) Uh, But Okay, so – just the, the scene where, like, Medivh, uh, Cadgar, and, and Lothar basically sets it up. It's all it's all right there, up to the point where Medivh is talking to Cadgar at the Cadgar end. Cadgar absorbs all of that fell, all of that fell that has basically taken over Medivh and turned him into that thing. And then he expels it, and he's fine afterwards. And yeah. there wasn't any magical aging process going on there, which I thought was interesting. That was a but choice that they, age... didn't, that, that they didn't make. <laughs> you can't age baby Cadgar. Come on. Okay, but they could have because, totally I mean, okay. They could have Scott Baculate him. Look, they turned... They turned Rob Kaczynski into one of the most convincing orcs I have ever seen in my life. I think they could have made no, no, Gadgar no, old. No, the technology is there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the whole point of baby Cadgar in this movie is that he's baby Cadgar. I'm I sorry. know. I would have liked to have okay. seen baby Cadgar I, as I a grown a, man. I have a feel about this. And this is one that Alex and I were arguing about. <laughs> I wish that at the end of everything, there would have been the touch of gray creeping in. That might like, have been okay. 
like I would have liked to have seen like nobody is purely unscathed and it that's just, like marks him a little bit. Yeah, like I would have been okay with that and maybe that kind of shapes his character going forward, but like to come out of that entire situation completely unscathed kind of like was a little too power fantasy thing for me, I guess. Like I like okay, I've expelled the most powerful demon that has ever graced this planet from the most powerful being that we know of currently. And I'm fine. Yay. Sweet. Like, just actually like, I'm going to go have a soda down yeah. at the Lion's Pride. One of the things that interests me, too, is quite simply, we don't know if Medivh's origins are the same. We don't know if it's because his mother and all that stuff. Okay, so I have. But does the novelization say? Um, No, but I have another tinfoil hat theory, and I really want to get to it because we go should ahead. be wrapping up here. Okay. Um, I like the setup that they did with Medivh where they made Medivh Garona's dad. And what I'm wondering is. Obviously, Gul'dan was there at the moment of Garona's birth. Medivh was not. Medivh had been touched by the Fell in Bonds of Brotherhood, and this is presumably before he... This, this is before that six-year absence, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's when he first encounters Fell magic, and he encounters it from the trolls, which is... There's like this big troll attack that goes on, on uh, against Stormwind, and it's really cool. And again, you should read this graphic novel. Anyway... Um, after that is when Medivh is just gone for six years um, because he's so wiped out and he's also like trying to deal with this fell thing that he's just discovered and he's not, the indication there is that he's not sure what it is just that he probably shouldn't be using it but he needs to study it because he needs to protect the world and there's like this, you know, this circle of kind of madness going on there and then there's that six year absence and somewhere in that six year absence he goes off to another world fathers Garona and then comes back again I think it's it's never clearly defined but what I'm wondering here is did Gul'dan use the fell before Garona was born or did he learn of it from her existence did he sense that did he sense that when she was born that her bloodline came from somebody who used this magic that was really powerful and like was she born green well, yeah, we don't know the, the timeline other, on that, too. There's right? also like, something else, though. I mean, it's, one of the things I thought is it's possible because when Garona her, overhears conversations between Gul'dan and his quote-unquote master, mm-hmm. and she's describing them to Medivh, who is shocked. Medivh says in the movie, I don't even know what I've done. Medivh doesn't understand Medivh. any of this. But the yeah. thing is, is what I'm wondering is... When he practiced that fell magic and bonds of brotherhood, did that let Ooh, these if? demons in? And if it let these demons in, did they then use Medivh as this pawn and so, set yeah. up this situation where it's like, we're going to take you to this other world. We're going to father this child of destiny or whatever. And then we're going to set it up. I mean, Medivh put well, the wheels in motion. Did he, put the wheels in, did he put the wheels in motion because unwittingly that demon within him contacted Gul'dan? Or did he put it in motion the moment that he fathered Garona? What if, and here, here's a question, right? Because humans hadn't really been exposed to a whole lot of shamanism, right? And he's traveling, or at least we can assume from everything that I've read that they really don't know a whole lot about that particular spirituality, so he's going traveling. Let's assume that he doesn't understand 
the particular way of shamanism, and he finds his way in with the Shadow Moon clan. Because it's never stated what clan her mother or was a part wolves, of. Or the Frost Wolves, because the Frost Wolves well, were part of that too, you know. Hold, hold, well, I mean, but hold on a second. What if he's finding a warm welcome among these people and he's exchanging ideas with Gul'dan, talking about spirituality and arcane magics and powers I don't think and things that like that? I don't but, think that's the case. But what if that's how that all started, though? Right, but I don't think that's the case, though, because none of the orcs that were there in that war band, like, none of them seemed at all familiar with the humans. Like, the humans were strange, small small teeth to them even to Goldon, he called them small teeth and you sure. know um I when they though, in the novelization when they were talking about the novelization that scene between orgrim and Goldon is kind of expanded a little bit and orgrim asks him about the statues that are on either side of the dark portal he says who is that exactly and Goldon says that is our master that is the one who grants us the power over fell and whatnot and the implication there is that's the demon that's in medieval yeah, um, in a lot of ways, this be, it becomes very much like Aiden and the Dark Wanderer from Diablo. But hmm. one of the things I find myself wondering is if Medivh actually had much of anything to do with it, or if it was basically, for lack of a word, because he turns into Sargeras at the end, so I'm going to say Sargeras. Well, yeah, he's if, had if had it was Sargeras who basically told Gul'dan, um, you should look for this child here in this orc. Maybe. Because, you know, Maybe. set it all up. Because I honestly feel like whilst Medivh was like wandering around Draenor meeting orc ladies and having nice times. The other half of him was setting things in motion. And I think the two things were happening at the same time. I think a lot of the time when Medivh would be like concerned by fell stuff and would be fighting it, he was fighting himself and didn't know it. So I think a lot of like the, I think all the fell stuff on Draenor is probably caused by Medivh going there and, and Sargeras contacting Gul'dan. I do have to say that I really hope that we get up to the point where we have the story of Warcraft 3 told because um, I would like to see Ben Foster do Medivh again, please. Mm -hmm. He was real good. I liked him a lot. Oh, yeah. um, so we should probably wrap it up here because we're already over time. I knew we were oh, yeah. going to be. <laughs> Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Also, for you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have two books, two relevant books here that are available. First off, Warcraft Duratan is available as an audiobook, and you can get that as your freebie. Secondly, you can also get the Warcraft novelization as a freebie, so you can make your choice and choose which one you want to pick. Um, I don't know if I really can recommend one over the other because <laughs> they're both really good. I'd say listen to one, then pick up the other one because why not? Uh, you can download these books and many, many, many others, they have a lot of the Blizzard books available um, just by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and signing up for your trial. Um, let's go ahead and wrap this up with just like final thoughts. So Rossi, final thoughts on the film. Lothar rocks. <laughs> Do you still want Orgrim as your war chief? Uh, no, I want Lothar to kill him. Oh, okay. But I like him. <laughs> but I like him. <laughs> uh, Joe, final thoughts. I want a second movie. <laughs> like Thanks I want Chinese. this. I want this. I want this to be ongoing. I want more. I need more. I need more. Give me more. I want more. Also, um, they left it on a very, very open-ended note with that coda at oh, the end yeah. of the credits, where Ooh. you saw Thrall going down. We didn't even talk about Thrall. No, we didn't. 
But I also one that's one other thing I do want to say about the movie. I really truly enjoyed the fact uh, that this world, even with just the humans, because it was mainly about the humans and the orcs, and while there were some dwarves and elves, there wasn't they weren't really involved. Uh, I like the diversity of people in this world. It felt like a real world. Yeah, and that's that was incredible to me. Um, final thoughts from me. I I feel like we should all be saying thank you to Duncan Jones, like a lot, mm-hmm. because this movie would not have come out, I don't think, without his intervention. And I really like his vision of Azeroth, and I'm really interested in seeing what's next in that vision of Azeroth. And I hope that he stays with the franchise and keeps making these films, because I, I want to see how he handles Arthas. I want to see that story. Um, Warcraft had a lot of really, I mean, there was a lot of really big action in it, but there was also a lot of quiet moments. And I really appreciated those the most, I think. Um, It was a different look at the Warcraft franchise, but I I like this. I like his vision of it. Um, And I think that wraps us up. So we will be back next week with our regularly scheduled Lore Watch. If you have any questions regarding the Warcraft film, again, email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com put lore watch in the subject line and we'll go ahead and answer your questions next week and possibly talk more about the film because honestly i think we could keep going on for like another six hours right guys which means we need you guys to give us questions to help direct us so that we can rein this in <laughs> otherwise we're so just please help us <laughs> thanks for listening you guys and we will see you in a week 